0: Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Red, joined as always by Nizar Hassan. Nizar, another week, another week of craziness, right? So exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, seriously, I, I know we 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 don't usually do this, right? Where we just cover one thing, but this is the story in Lebanon. Nothing else matters right now that we know of, <laughs> and 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 so despite the fact that we spent. All of the episode last week, basically, well, we talked about the fires last week and the protests, because the fires are very much related to the protests. This week, we're just going to go all about the protests, nothing else. Because, I mean, honestly, did anything else really happen in Lebanon this week? Not really.
1: I don't think so, no.
0: So what we're going to do is we're going to sort of walk through the week. And, you know, last week we recorded on Sunday, then we released the episode like Sunday afternoon or or Sunday evening a little bit earlier than we normally do. We're going to try to do the same thing this week. So we're sitting here Sunday afternoon. We don't really know what's going to happen right now. But last Sunday, oh my God, last Sunday was huge. Like we had no idea this many people would show up.
1: It was really insane. I have never seen this many people across the country. Like, it was just absolutely crazy. In Beirut, the biggest protest I've seen since 2005, and then outside of Beirut, in all of these different areas, in Tripoli, in in the south, it's just insane. It was the biggest, I think, manifestation that has been recorded.
0: Yeah, ever in Lebanese history, basically. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. because back in 2005, we had the protests that, you know, the, the March 14th protest uh, was the biggest one that just absolutely filled Martyrs Square and overflowed and everything. And and that maybe was bigger than what we saw on Sunday. But this past Sunday, we not only had Martyrs Square basically full, but we also had so many locations just across the country, up in Tripoli, down in Sur, Nabatieh, Baalbek, all over the country people were coming out and protesting which means that this is probably the biggest manifestation that we've we've ever seen in
1: Lebanon yeah because in central in central protests such as the 2015 one you had buses coming from all over the from all of these areas to Beirut so this is something taken into account so these people are who are protesting in their areas usually have to go to Beirut to do that. So it's more accessible for people to go to their own areas rather than traveling, especially when they think that the roads might be blocked or whatever for many reasons. But in general, it's, uh, yeah, when you th- think of the whole country in action, it's probably yeah, the biggest action, which is insane because there's no really, I mean, there's no serious mobilization by any like political leaders that we can think of. So it's really very spontaneous uh, action by people involvement. In it. So it's really, really amazing.
0: And And so that was sort of like the... One of the peaks, I would I would say for the for the protesters for for the people who are rising up right now. But starting on Sunday, but then also really on Monday, we saw the authorities really start to push back. So on Monday morning, they had a meeting of cabinet up in Babda, and they agreed on a whole bunch of things. They passed a budget. They agreed on a whole bunch of reforms or so-called reforms. And then Prime Minister Hariri came out afterwards and went through these and said, "Hey, we've heard you guys on the street, and we are." We're doing all of this stuff to, uh, to fix the situation, to make sure that you, you know, that your demands are being heard and, 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 and that we are responsive to them. Now, now the actual things that he announced were, were things like, okay, so they, they passed the budget, which is good, they need to pass the budget uh, and they needed to get it to parliament before Tuesday, according to the constitution, so that's a good thing. They reduced the deficit in that budget down to 0.6% of GDP, uh, which is really, you know, looks amazing. <laughs> of course the it, it looks amazing on paper right but in reality when you, when you see what they've done like it, it looks as though basically half of the deficit reduction is just some sort of like debt cancellation or rescheduling by the central bank and so that that's one thing and then they're taxing banks which is probably a good thing you know but it's a one off to get some more money and and then they're also reducing uh, electricity subsidies by about a billion dollars Which is, you know, great if you reform the electricity sector, which they say they're going to do, but not great if they fail in reforming the electricity sector, because all that means is more power cuts. So the, the things that he announced were sort of like some of them were in the budget and some of them were outside the budget and, and there were there were other things as well. So, you know, we mentioned the amount of money they were going to give for electricity, for subsidies, but also along with that, they're supposed to fix things. Right. So they've had this plan that the cabinet passed earlier uh, this year that they're going to try to finally, after 30 years, fix the electricity sector. They're going to look into selling off the uh, state telecom companies, which could generate several billion dollars, uh, but is also a one-off thing that's been talked about forever. This is a recycle proposal that's been around for at least a decade and a half. They did have a, a, a couple of things that, that were good, you know, giving money funds for like the elderly and and increasing like social security type things. and And then they also had a few measures about fighting corruption, right? There's there's a lot of stuff going on here, and and on the one hand, it is impressive that the cabinet's actually doing some stuff, right? It, this is faster than Lebanese politics usually works. But basically, it seems as though the announcements that Hariri made seemed geared more towards appeasing international actors than people in the street. People in the street are broadly demanding just fucking resign, all of you guys. Yeah, you you've lost our trust. You you you've been unable to govern in the country for the past 30 years. So it's time for you to go, and and that you know notice I didn't say anything, and Hariri didn't say anything about oh, and by the way I'm going to resign. <laughs> no, there there was nothing about that. The the things that he did say though that were geared potentially towards you know alleviating the people's pain, things helping with uh, certain aspects of the social social security net, and things about like fighting corruption, which people actually care about. Those would be great. But we've heard this before, especially the, the fighting corruption part. Everybody has been talking about fighting corruption for years and years and years, and we've seen nothing,
1: really. But also the, the economic paradigm on which this paper or this uh, proposal was, uh, was based is the same of what we've seen before. I mean, the banks pay a 0.2% tax on revenues. That's great. Why is that a one-time thing? that's very like what we need is higher taxes and banks and everybody knows that so why isn't that uh, just a why aren't they you know courageous enough to make this decision as a as a normal and and, and permanent thing The decision to cut off all of the public investments that are not necessary as they call it in the paper in the in the text what what is that? Is basically the all of these little um, funds, such as the Council for uh, Development and Reconstruction, or measures uh, the South Lebanon uh, Council, etc. This will stop investing in infrastructure projects, and this means that it, uh, the, and not all of these projects will be funded by Sadr money if it if the Sadr money comes, and this means that it will hurt the economy in a few years. I mean. If you're cutting, if you're cutting infrastructure development now, you're gonna pay for it with lower growth in a few years. This right, and one of one of his points economics. was cutting all of these funds by about seventy percent. Right, exactly. It's based on and, and the privatization. What's, what's the good thing about privatizing telecom? Like, I don't understand. Well,
0: it's a one-off that raises money, right? And so you're able to close yeah, the budget like,
1: deficit, right? That's, that's the whole thing. But that's the problem with this uh, this whole Hariri thing. What he proposed is basically fixing the situation for this year so that we st- we leave the streets and then nothing for less, next year, really nothing. I mean, except for merging some public institutions and fixing some corruption things that talked about, nothing in the economic side, in the macroeconomic indicators will be fixed next year. Deficit will be as high as it was last year if the, the central bank cancels a bit, like $3 billion or whatever this year, next year it will be the same. Nothing will change. We will pay for the cuts in infrastructure development and and bad growth in the future. We will pay for selling off the telecom when we're not making revenues out of one of the few sectors that actually make revenues for the state in the future.
0: And, And correct me if I'm wrong, but because you've been down in the protests, you know, every day for multiple hours every day. But the sense that I get is that people don't really care that much about fixing the budget deficit. This seems like a very like technical issue that the politi- and a problem that the politicians themselves created through just years and years and years of gross mismanagement. And now, you know, who who cares? You, it's your problem. You guys fix it. And, but just don't bring it on us with austerity.
1: Yeah, but people are very worried about public debt because they feel that this is a burden that we have to pay back. And they feel that this is a burden that is basically it will be on the shoulders of the taxpayers so people are concerned about this but they don't know when you say something like yeah it's not self-evident that we have to pay all the money back because when you're in situation sometimes you can just you know restructure or cancel some of it etc especially the money for example made out of financial engineering processes why is that even legitimate i mean come on there there was a risk but it was not like uh, such a high risk that requires them to take these massive profits give them back you don't deserve them you didn't do any work for them central bank basically gave you free money or, or the, all of that interest the high interest that has been accumulating on the public debt over the years accumulating to 85 billion dollars now come on it's not self-evident so people are worried about it and they don't find it okay like they, they, there's no Serious discourse in terms of the, the public sphere that talks about this as a valid option, um, confronting the banks and saying, saying you know, we're not going to pay it back. And this is the only way anyway we can find, fight the deficit or we can reduce the deficit is by managing public debt. But anyway, when he announced it, I was in the I was in Riyadh Salah and uh, people were listening on like this. Th- there are all of these pickup trucks with massive like speakers.
0: The You're you're in the square directly facing the, the government palace there, the, the, the seat of government.
1: Yeah. And people were listening to Hariri. And the only thing they clapped for in the whole speech was when he said, if you want an early election, I support that. And nothing else in the whole speech. Like they didn't even like smile at anything he said. And then two seconds after it's done, someone started yelling, "Ashab you read Isqat and everyone was like chanting with them. It was like, no one, really, no one bought it in the streets at least. No one was even 1% uh, uh, like uh, sympathetic to whatever Hariri was trying to say. No trust is no trust. People have no confidence.
0: Right, 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 right. And yeah, so even if Hariri had come out with a much better set of proposals, it, it, it doesn't matter at this point. Because so many people have just lost faith that he and the rest of his colleagues in governance that they're able to actually accomplish anything. Yeah. So so Monday was also important because that was the seventy-two hour deadline, right? That we had talked about last week that Hariri gave himself. So he met his deadline in like I, I guess in a certain way of like coming up with something and presenting it to people. But obviously, it, it, it wasn't like a substantive meeting of the of the deadline of like oh, no, I'm going to have real things to offer you. So we go into Tuesday, and Tuesday was really fascinating for me because we really saw, okay, Hariri's done his piece, and and now it's sort of like the battle for normalization or not. The government really saying, okay, we've got this plan, and everything is, it's time to get back to normal. Get out of the streets, go back to work, open up the schools, all of that stuff, and Lebanon is normal again, right? That's what they wanted everybody to do. That did not happen though. There, there seemed to be this sort of like running battle between people who would close streets and then the government that would open them just all day long on Tuesday. And, and it just seemed like a whack-a-mole type thing where the, like the government would open up a street and then protesters would close it somewhere else. And this was going on in locations across the country. So that's number one, just that having that freedom of movement, uh, this, this battle of the roads, you know, that happened that, Really, the government was unable to do what they wanted to do, which is normalize the country on Tuesday with this. Also, the government was really fighting hard to open up the schools. So Akram Shahyab, the minister of education, he issued an order saying, okay, it's Tuesday. We have our plan. As of Wednesday, tomorrow, all the schools are going to be open. Yeah, Universities, right. uh, vocational <laughs> technical schools, and you know your regular uh, uh, public or private schools, they're all going to be open tomorrow. And then... <laughs> And then it just sort of like fell apart. <laughs> right. <laughs> like like such a it,
1: big fail. I
0: loved it. Yeah, and, and, and it fell apart because people were genuinely outraged. And and they were like, No, no this is not back to normal yet. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? And and we're not gonna we're not gonna do it. Uh, we're we're not gonna go along with this. University students and professors they started organizing, trying to uh, get together like a strike, uh, and potentially you know blocking entrances to universities, stuff like that. We started seeing schools and universities peel off and defy. The uh, the minister, uh, I think Notre Dame University was the first university to do it, and then the Catholic schools they announced that oh well we're we're going to be shut tomorrow sorry and and then shortly after that Shahiab had to back down and say okay we'll close all the vocational technical schools and the primary and secondary schools tomorrow he didn't say anything about universities though but because. The professors, I think, and the students had organized to such a degree, we started seeing a lot of a lot of other universities announce, oh, no, we're going to be closed as well uh, tomorrow. And so that's what happened. Basically, this th- this massive fight over the schools, the government lost. We also saw a couple of other things happen on Tuesday, and one was really important. I think the firing of the head of the National News Agency, the National New- News Agency is like the state body that basically, they've got like hundreds of correspondents fucking everywhere all across the country. And They don't do like critical reporting, but they do do just like basic, like this happened here. Um, this politician said X, even if X isn't true. Yeah. And
1: it's, it's where you get all of these small news stories. Yeah, yeah.
0: Everybody picks them up, right? Like, yeah, exactly. like a, a huge amount of the news that you see in Lebanon, in, in Arabic, English, whatever, comes originally from the National Definitely. News Agency. But having this like big ground game and re- just like reporting what happens isn't that great of a thing <laughs> if you've got a national uprising on your hands. And yeah. all of the evidence right now seems to point to, laura laymon the 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 former head of the nna her being sacked because the people in power didn't like the way that she was directing coverage of the uprising yeah now, we don't know that they they say oh no no this decision happened earlier and everything but laura slayman herself doesn't buy that and she she says no this 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 was backdated the the decree firing me was, mm. it was dated like the 17th of october no somebody backdated that it, it, it was. It didn't come out then.
1: It's so sad to see this and also in the national television. Okay, it's not a popular television. Nobody really watches it. But still, they're not reporting because they're worried that if they report from the streets and start taking, you know, Fox Pop, like people speaking whatever they think in the streets, which is what all televisions are doing now, that a lot of things will be said that they can't report. So they can't go live. So they can't do like this is a ba- basic thing to do, right? To go on the street and talk to people, right? Right. They just can't do it because someone might insult the president or a minister or whatever, and they can't have that responsibility.
0: Yeah, and, and there's been a really huge difference between the coverage from the NNA, one state media body, and Teleliban, another state media body, which has basically ignored things at least until Tuesday, because also on Tuesday we saw a group of artists storm Teleliban. And mm-hmm. to make a point, like, yeah. why aren't you covering this? They didn't get it on air or anything like that. But uh, we saw that the day after Taliban actually, I don't know if it was for the first time, but Taliban was actually covering things and had pictures of the protests up. Uh, they weren't out in the field uh, from what I saw. It seemed as though they started to cover a bit more. The other thing that happened on Tuesday, which is a big day, obviously, was that Hariri met with the international support group for Lebanon, which is a bunch of like foreign governments and EU, UN, Arab League, all these guys. And he showed them the reform paper and everything said, oh, we've got everything. You know, th- this is this is the day that the government's showing, oh yeah, we've got everything back together. And it seemed as though they believed him. I, I don't know. Uh, Jan Kubish, the uh, United Nations Special Coordinator for Lebanon, uh, made a statement saying we like this. Uh, it seems good. Which seemed to me to be a little bit premature on their part but it it was a win for the government for sure
1: yeah definitely especially because like everyone's always listening what the special coordinator is saying so it it basically changes the mood (laughs) in the whole country (laughs) No, um, sarcasm on the side. (laughs) That
0: is cutting.
1: (laughs) Sarcasm on the side. Uh, I find it funny that it's called International Support Group. And maybe this is why they accepted what the government said, because, you know, it's a support group. So it's accepting of everything and like welcoming It's also sarcastic. I'm sorry. There's nothing serious about this. Like, I have no idea how they just jumped into, like, believing that the government will actually achieve any of these things when people are still blocking roads every day and nothing in the country is working.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this uh, paralysis continued Wednesday, right? Roads were closed again across the country on Wednesday. One interesting thing happened, I think, on Wednesday, and that is that some politicians decided to go down down to the protests and talk to them. And in some cases, it went, like, okay. Like, Sami Jamal went down to, I think, Jaladib, just east of Beirut. And he did get water thrown at him. Kilun Yani All of them means all of them. Protesters want all of them out. But it didn't seem like a total disaster. And some people were saying it's good that he came down to, you know, help mediate between the security forces who were trying to open the road and the protesters who were trying to keep it shut. But a little bit north, another uh, MP, Namat uh, Frim, Went out as well. I, I think to Zouk Mosbeh, where they had closed the road as well, to talk to the people, and that did not go well at all. Uh, Frem is the son of a former minister. He is uh, the owner of a gigantic company here in Lebanon. Industrialist. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got he's got lots of money. He's one of these like people who has lots of both political and financial power, right? And he entered parliament just last year, running on the ticket of the FPM, even though he is not an FPM member. And the FPM, the party of Michel Aoun, the party of Gibran Basile, who has been targeted uh, very personally during these uh, during these protests. Uh, so Nemat Frim goes down and people just give it to him. Uh, just, you know, screaming at him, you know, you need to resign. What are you doing? Uh, and he tries to explain himself. It goes over very badly. It, and eventually he, he leaves and everything. Interestingly, though, Later on in the week, he ended up resigning from not from Parliament, but resigning from the FPM's block in Parliament of which he was a part. So him, him, he was basically saying, "I'm not with these guys anymore. I'm an independent."
1: Yeah, which is a big step that we didn't probably expect now, right? I mean, we expected this maybe in the post-town FPM kind of uh, scene, but not he, not not now. It while it's still kind of under control.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's, it's interesting because it, it shows you maybe where he thought the wind was blowing. Yeah. Thursday comes along, and there's a big thing that happens on Thursday. Well, mind you, by the way, like there's this trying to open roads and keep them shut going on throughout, throughout the week, basically. But Thursday, uh, the big thing that happens is President Aoun finally breaks his silence and speaks to the people. It wasn't a live message. It was pre-recorded. Uh, it was obviously done in several takes because you could see the the edits. You could see the cuts that happened quite frequently, and things in the background like changed as a lot of people pointed out on on social media on basically. It was a, an extraordinarily short speech, and he he just he endorsed the Hariri plan. Uh, he he did call for like a review in in I guess the status of the government, which a lot of people saw as like oh maybe like he's looking at maybe a reshuffle or something like that. And and then he said that he wants to meet the representatives of of the protesters. Of course, there aren't representatives of the protesters. It's sort of this decentralized mass uprising. But basically, it's like well no 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 I need to I need to sit down and talk with somebody so find somebody and, and bring him in and, and let me negotiate with him. That also, that speech really did not go down well with the people on the street, uh, from my understanding.
1: Yeah, with anyone. With anyone I spoke to. I mean, everyone was like, they felt a bit of pity and a bit of a bit of like disappointment, a mix of pity and disappointment. But yeah, it was a, a speech that was, you know, weak and the sense of not showing any kind of assertion, not showing like, you know, uh, determination to do anything real. And also it was... um Empty in terms of how, like, he didn't speak to people's concerns really. He spoke about a couple of things, but he focused on things that he shouldn't even have mentioned, like what he tried to do and what his how he's credible about this and that, and whatever. You spoke 16 lines, you better make them like. As sympathetic as possible to people's up to the, the uprising happening, and I don't think it was smart. And I think he's a bit a bit too tired to be even speaking. Like he should consider not speaking anymore and just like writing statements. Really, because it's like the delivery was so bad that you can you can't even look through it sometimes.
0: Yeah, a a lot of people were talking about his health yeah. after this, just because he he appeared to be frail. Unable to speak the way that he used to, and and also just the number of edits that obviously were done, the fact that it wasn't live, all of that stuff just raised a lot of questions for people. Keep in mind, on the 31st of October, it's only the halfway point of his term. Presidential term is six years. We're oh only going God. to be to year three
1: this week. That's really too long. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, like if, if he is, if he is um, not in great health, then it raises a lot of questions, a lot of questions for the next three years to come. The other uh, big thing that happened on Thursday was for the first time we saw some scuffles in downtown Beirut. And this is sort of like the first major scuffle that we saw uh, since, you know, it, or, or violence really of any kind since uh, the Friday before. So on Thursday of this week, we saw a bunch of uh, self-identified Hezbollah supporters show up in riyad Sola Square and Martyrs Square nearby. Uh, and things had been very peaceful until then, and then suddenly they weren't peaceful anymore. And credit where credit's due, the, the ISF riot police, they came in. And they they acted they did they did what they should have done they they separated the uh the protesters who had been there before from the the new guys coming in chanting in support of uh, Hassan Nasrallah and and they showed to my eye uh from, from what I saw you know broadcast uh, on the screens it seems as though they were they were quite restrained
1: yeah yeah the first day they left and then they came back the second day but anyway like it was a bad scene to see like it was nice not nice to see police do a ring around a certain number of people and then you know blocking them from the other pe- head of the other people but this was not like a fight between protesters this was a bunch of Hezbollah guys who arrived with the sole purpose of provoking people they yeah, arrived and they,
0: they were they were all guys there were there
1: were no women in the group oh definitely and they were like so, uh, so they had the plan, and the plan was to go down and start creating this uh, this fake, like, it, problem, which is that someone is insulting Nasrallah or Hezbollah, which was not happening at all.
0: Which, and Nasrallah had just said the week before, insult me. Come on, guys.
1: And then they, they started this, and then people there were so provoked because they just took over the space and were just provoking everyone with all kind of things and chanting, like, whatever like nasrallah has more honor than anyone and that you know putting the putting him as a red line etc it was just poison toxic shit so people were provoked and there was some scuffles um but uh yeah but i mean it was not to be it's not to be seen the same as like people who are supportive in general of hezbollah protesting it's not the same these are because there's actually a be.
0: lot of those people in the crowd oh
1: definitely yeah yeah no these are what we call shabihah people who come to basically to make problems to uh, do some aggressive acts against protesters or create problems or try to divide them etc
0: right and and like you said they they started they showed up on Thursday afternoon they left but then they came back on Friday and it was the same thing all over again probably worse on Friday but but then uh, I think at 4 p.m. Nasrallah himself came on the air to speak and so luckily (laughs) <laughs> everything stopped then because everybody was uh, listening to what Nasrallah was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously the Nasrallah supporters aren't going to be creating problems while the Sayyid is speaking. Right. Yeah. So, so we had, we had like three big speeches this week, right? We had uh Hariri speak, we had Aoun speak, and then we had Nasrallah speak last. And he doubled down. We, we talked about his, uh, his previous speech last week. He just doubled down on everything uh, that he was saying. He said, we're we're not going to let the president fall. We reject that. We're not going to let. Uh, we don't want the government to resign because there would be a void. So we reject that. You know, early parliamentary elections. Great idea in theory. How are you going to do it in practice? Are you, are you going to have a single electoral district? Are you going to have an orthodox law? Are you how are you going to divide things up? Uh, which honestly is a very very legitimate question. I think that that has to be the people have to talk about what kind of electoral law do we want if we're calling for new elections come on, uh, Nostrella's right, you have to have a, an actual law, and I bet people don't want the same law as last time.
1: Yeah, but it's not like electoral laws are such a, it's a, it's such an easy topic to have a position on. I have no position on it, like, I have preferences, but no real position on what which one is the best. And like I'm very involved in politics, so who would have like a clear position? We should have a new government. People are saying we need a new government, and this new government will put this will will set this new electoral law, this enact this new electoral law that will improve representation and probably be outside of the sectarian quota if you go a bit too far or far enough. Um, But in any case, that these people, the technocrats, the lawmakers, whatever people who are supposed to do this will do this kind of law and it should be better than this one. It's not like all of the protesters in the uprising should agree on it. And also when was so focused on vacuum as if like if the government resigns, there will be vacuum. And it's not true. Like he just scares people out of... of protesting by by saying this but it's not true if you have uh, the the government designs you don't have a vacuum at all constitutionally you have just the president call for another consultation round and, and like choose another prime minister and form a new government which is totally normal
0: right this talk about a vacuum is it's it's more of a threat really than than an analysis it's saying because who causes the vacuum it's politicians who can't agree on getting anything done right and we see all of these same ruling politicians banding together now, mm-hmm. basically saying, wait, if you kick us out, we're not going to agree on anything new. You're going to have a vacuum. That is what they're saying. If you look at take collectively what they are saying, yeah. talking about the, the problems of the void, you know, no, that that is coming directly from them. It, it is a problem that they because they would still have, you know, control enough uh, MPs in parliament that they would decide, oh well, we're just not going. We're not going to fill the vacuum, mm. and so it's a threat. There's no, there's no other way to read it. I, I, I think. <laughs> and then as, as uh, a lot of people have pointed out online, they're they're threatening this, but we've seen a vacuum in government, a government void since 2005. We've had 995 days of governmental void, almost three years out of, out of the last you know 14 years. So it's like, oh what. <laughs> What exactly are you threatening us with? It it's going to happen anyway. You know, you guys can't get your shit together no matter what. Yeah, uh, I mean if it
1: doesn't happen now it's it's going to happen after the next election. So yeah, it might as well yeah. happen when people really want a new government to 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 be formed and like there's leverage for actually an independent one. But yeah, Nasrallah's whole speech was really very focused on on on, th- on threats, on how these uh, road blockades can lead to tensions and are similar to checkpoints of the civil war and how you know um, this is my this might be leading to more violence and more chaos and he said this the word civil war twice and like you know he he just basically he put people in the situation where he started his speech by saying oh the Herak was uh, is, has been great at achieving this and this and this and that and then uh, he started gradually building up his case. Uh, of threatening like basically or basically pointing at the high risk of, of something very bad happening and then even talking about this conspiracy he said oh i don't like conspiracy theories and then he went on this conspiracy theory <laughs> that this there is some kind of uh, embassies finding uh, funding sorry uh, the 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 protests and that this wasn't the case in the first 2 or 3 days it was an actual popular uprising back then but now embassies are involved and we should know which embassy supports which group, and whether the embassies are for countries that love Lebanon or not? He went full on in this conspiracy theory without any really any evidence or any good analysis, to be honest. But he built the case slowly until he the last point where he said, "So I call on all my supporters to leave the streets." And this was not easy because even people who do not like subscribe to Hezbollah's ideology or do not uh, do not are not affiliated with the party or not organized with the party they get very influenced by what Nasrallah says because it's a father figure. It's really a father figure. Like a father figure who says, like don't do this because it's bad for you and you don't do this. Like I have, I'm, I'm talking about like friends and not people like, I'm not, Looking down on anyone I'm saying like People yeah. have this connection With Nasrallah Where basically they, they feel that He knows exactly What he's talking about And he knows our interests Better than what the, the other people In the street know So it was a very Disappointing thing And if you go to the streets On that day People were very You know uh, sad and depressed in general especially in Beirut because this has a lot of impact on Beirut and other areas they didn't really give a shit because like it doesn't affect their mobilization quite the opposite
0: yeah people are still going to be coming out in in Tripoli
1: in Tripoli or in, in Zou or Jaladip or whatever it doesn't matter but in Beirut that's, completely, that's like very very significant
0: yeah and so like that's the downside the, the upside to that is that the the guys who came to disrupt things on Thursday and Friday they left immediately uh, mm-hmm. after after a speech, and England. and they didn't show up on Saturday either. But they
1: beat up a, a couple of people while they're leaving. Yeah, yeah <laughs>
0: on on the way out. Yeah. yeah. And So Saturday, ev- everything went back to the roads, right? So that we've been having these sort of this this confrontation between the powers of the government and the power of the people, right, on the streets of Lebanon, and this has been playing out all week. But then on Saturday, the government decided, okay, chalas, enough. We've got to enact a plan and really get things open. Uh, and so the, uh, the commanders of all four security services met in Yarze at the Defense Department, the, the Army headquarters up in Yarze in the morning to okay this plan, and then they started rolling it out. and and they went to a lot a lot of places. Uh, it was, I, I believe, mostly the army and the ISF. Uh, what I, from what I saw, doing this, uh, but mm-hmm. I heard maybe there were, there was some involvement from other security services as well. So there, there's one place in Beirut that is uh, maybe not super significant from just like a, I don't know, like a, a movement of people point of view. Although it is important, but but it, it's super important, like just from uh, just because of its symbology, and that's the ring road. It's right south of downtown. It's not a ring road, first off, but it's mm. called the ring road.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, I think that what should be called the ring road is the, ro- the ring over it. But people call the whole thing the ring. It's the, basically the for bridge or highway.
0: Probably. Yeah, yeah. And so it, 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 it cuts just south of downtown and it, it connects east and west Beirut, big highway, bridge, a, a couple of bridges, basically, on it in, in this area. And uh, protesters had, had been closing it down. And, and sometimes it would be open and then closed again. But on Saturday, the uh, the ISF went and they opened. They opened it. They they forcibly pulled people off of the street, opened up the ring road, and traffic resumed. Mm. Uh, un- until a a certain Lebanese politics podcast co host <laughs> and his friends uh, showed up a little bit later in the day <laughs> and retook it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was cool because uh, when when they kicked people out, uh, it was a very like sad moment because the ring has been like this this major road that is, as you're saying, very symbolic, and it's, and it's closed, right next to right Martyrs Square. To, exactly. Like if
0: you can't if the protesters can't close this road, then they then, can't uh, close any. Exactly. Pack it up, go exactly. home.
1: Revolution's over. Exactly. So it's, it has a lot of significance and people were like living there for the last days. Like it was like people were camping, they had, you know, food supplies, they were playing things, they were discussing, having, you know, support groups, whatever they have, they're having over there. It's great. And then the, the police just evacuates them. So after after we blocked a couple of roads uh, below the bridge, a lot of media came because there was some, the police were trying to, to, um, to break up also the the action there and then we got a lot of attention so the police backed off and uh and also p- people were fighting back quite nice by like very non-violently and then when we had enough people it would it made sense to go back to the, the the bridge because when you have like 50 people you can evacuate them forcibly but when you have 300 or 200 you can't really and starting yeah. from there the, the ring became like the, the nicest spot of the whole thing happening in beirut because there you have some action, some people trying to pass all the time, and some police trying to be, you know, annoying. Sometimes you have, like, thugs for political parties coming and trying to create problems and all of these things, while you also have, like, chants and songs and, and, and percussions and, like, you know, it's just, like, a very, very lively It's, a, it's
0: a nice public space. Yeah. Yeah. Them, and usually there's are be- just cars you, speeding on it. But. And
1: I want to say that like if you're passing in on this ring on this on this bridge uh, anytime soon before they remove them see all of the graffiti that has been put on starting from the entrance near Tabaris near the near the you know Jamezi and go up and you will see like beautiful like graffiti and paintings all over the walls like people got really creative with it. I really loved it.
0: I, I feel like somebody could do an entire podcast just on the graffiti that's come out of this revolution and all the artwork and and stuff like that. It, It really is incredible. Yeah. So long story short on Saturday, basically the authorities failed to open the roads despite the fact that they had tried and had this plan in place and everything like that. But, but one incident, one other incident I do want to mention, and that was up in Badawi. We don't know everything about it, but we do know that the Army did open fire, uh, it, apparently trying to open uh, a closed road where protesters had closed it. There were some some people wounded, both on the Army side and on the uh, uh, the protester side, according to statements from the Army and the Red Cross. Uh, in, in just videos, right? I didn't see any blood in the videos. I, I don't know if the extent of any of these injuries, mm. but we do know shots were fired. The Army says it was that they used rubber bullets. They may have used live fire as well. We don't know because the statement was really poorly worded or or I don't, vaguely worded, I guess. But suffice it to say, that was one of those sort of, oh, shit moments last night where you you remember like, oh, things could go Badly very very quickly, yeah uh, if the authorities were to you know take certain measures, which so far it seems that they they haven't really, although we came really close in Badawi last night. so that brings us up to today uh, and today we're looking at you know like how many people come out to the square and obviously what roads get open or closed or whatever uh, but I think we should like quickly go through the different politicians and what they've been doing and and, and sort of like what their position is right now in in terms of like trying to contain i mean they're they're all pretty much trying to contain the protests and end them right
1: in different ways yeah i mean nasrallah is obviously playing the bad cop he's he's the guy who took on this responsibility to to fight on behalf of all of these people and like be on the forefront because he can do it i think because he has like much more first of all much more charisma much better like Communication skills, much stronger support base. He can speak Arabic. Yeah, yeah, and he knows exactly what touches people uh, in terms of like their their fear, because a lot of what he does is mobilize people based on fear, as he should, you know, and then according to the nature of his organization. But anyway, Nasrallah is playing the bad cup and basically. Making people suspicious, making people very, uh, um, very worried, etc. Harir is playing the good cop, saying like, "Hey guys, like, I really hear you, but you can't do this because we need you need to get uh, things done." I completely understand, like, not ag- at all being ag- aggressive, saying, "You know, I'm with you 100," percent but this is all I can do. Like, it, it,
0: it's funny how like sort of all of the politicians say, "Oh yeah, we're with the protests."
1: Yeah, with and the protest saying like fuck you all. Like, yeah. literally, <laughs> this, is, this is the funniest thing about it. <laughs> like the people are saying we don't trust you and these politicians are saying, oh, are you saying you need a 0.2, a one-time tax on the banks? Yeah, exactly. That's what, exactly what they meant. That, that That's what brought people <laughs> out to the streets, yeah. Um, Basile has been completely absent from the public, public sphere. He hasn't made any public statements, uh, even though he is the head of the largest bloc in parliament and he basically heads a block in the cabinet that is that is a third of the cabinet so uh, he's theoretically the most powerful political leader in the country if you want to think about like political parties and he hasn't made any any comments at all except for one tweet on October eighteen, which said, you know, to the people in the streets and people of the FPM, we are with you, we are listening to you, listen to us and wait for us and something like that. Like, like some poetic shit, like, you know, just a tweet that has no anything, nothing concrete, no positions. And that was it. Uh, since October eighteen, the second day of protest, when, like before we recorded the, the, the first episode on this, I don't know, I think just being like, um, he's not courageous enough to f- confront because... He knows how much like anger there is against him and how much disappointment there is. So he's trying to put himself like out of the scene as much as possible so that people talk about other people or whatever it is that he's really like what the strategy is. But I think it just doesn't want to say anything because anything he says would probably be cause an outrage. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: No, no. If I were advising him on PR, I would say, don't, don't say anything. Don't show up anywhere. Let your partners in government, let Hariri. And let Nasrallah, let let Aoun, your father-in-law, let them talk now. You stay out of sight.
1: And also, I think like Aoun needs this to happen because the FPM itself is uh, now dependent on the credibility or the the legitimacy of Jibran Basile. And this this credibility or this integrity has been quite you know destroyed by the movement because he's he's it's clear that he is the most hated politician in Lebanon and but you know just ra- spontaneously what people say is, is makes it very clear so the FM cannot have him as a uh, as a leader and be provoking people more and more and more in the future if this is the case so he needs to step back he needs to put the attention elsewhere divert the attention elsewhere and then he can probably come back with anything that makes sense to so, to bring back his credibility because yeah but really... but
0: i mean like right now he's facing a whole lot of problems just like within the fpm like so uh i, I believe yesterday the fpm had like a a big protest like counter protest we support Michel Aoun. they just were waving lebanese flags not Tayyar flags so there's that but you see like we talked about namat frim saying oh mm. i'm, I'm going to go independent we also saw a huge deal Basile's own brother-in-law, Shemuel Rukos, say, I'm no longer a part of this anymore. Now, Shemuel wasn't a part of the FPM itself, but like Namat Frim, he was in the block. He had run on the FPM's list, uh, and he's the son-in-law of Michelle Aun. He's yeah. married to Claudine Aoun. And then so th- we're, we're seeing these people who are sort of maybe not at the core of the FPM, but on the fringes start to go independent, mm-hmm. which is a big problem for Basile.
1: A big problem, and we should like, w- like we should be excited about the next internal FPM elections because if uh, if there's no Aoun to to convince the other person to to withdraw, like what happened last time with Alain Aoun, uh, he was just asked to withdraw his candidacy. That's why Basile won. If the same thing doesn't happen, then I'm pretty sure Shamarukus would win over Basile. I mean, among the FPM people. Well, that's that.
0: That is also why and now we're getting deep into the weeds. But why a lot of people have said that Basile has made so many changes and put the right put the right rules in place and put the right people in place in the FPM to basically ensure his own control of it regardless of how popular he is
1: I have no doubt and finally uh, Barry is also quite absent he hasn't made any public statement yet I think this is a similar thing among different like I think that's why Aoun also waited a lot to make a statement it's basically something that's Quite uh, basic in these situations. Don't appear because, uh, you know, people will make fun of you, people will attack you, etc. Uh, but Berry is, I don't know, I think he's he's in a more interesting political position, you know, because he, he's known to have this very strong relationship, kind of the triangle thing with Hariri and Jumblat. Yeah. At the same time, he's Hezbollah's closest ally politically. At the same time, he hates shit out of the FPM and Basil, which is Hezbollah's closest non-Shiite ally. So
0: Lebanese politics is complicated.
1: Yeah. So Birri is in this position where he can actually, he, he has like many different considerations. He, he can't like, it's not like Nasrallah. He can't like just go with the, with this one strong ally and make whatever decisions uh, fits this orientation. He needs to consider a lot of things. And he may, might even like have something in mind that we don't understand because uh, it's, not, it's not clear yet whether Hariri will remain prime minister after monday or tuesday if the if the same thing continues if the disruption continues
0: one other leader that we should mention who has not been in the public eye for the past week is simir jaja now his last speech was not this past saturday night but the saturday night before when he announced that okay the lf the lebanese forces my party has decided that we are going to ask our ministers our four ministers to resign so they did they're out A, a lot of uh reports seem to suggest that the LF has not officially but sort of unofficially been supporting like the roadblocks and the protests and stuff like that uh, which is sort of a a problem probably for the for the protest movement for the for for the people who who are trying to counter say you know what? Uh, Hassan Nasrallah is saying that, oh, there's these political parties behind it or whatever, because Nasrallah probably is kind of right on that, right? Like there, there is, yeah, there are like, there is this mass popular uprising, but also the LF does seem to be supporting, especially when you look at like the prevalence and uh, and, and staying power of a lot of roadblocks in Metin, Keselwen, uh Jbeil, those areas to the north of Beirut. In in you know the predominantly Christian areas where the LF has a lot of support,
1: yeah. But this is also as you're saying, like Nasrallah pointed at this, and he spoke about the LF and Kataeb, like without mentioning the names very directly. Like he described Kataeb as being in the in power for a long time, and then coming to become an opposition, and then LF uh, uh, leaving the government recently. He attacked both of them, or he pointed that both of them are trying to, to ride the wave of this movement. Of course they are. Like, to be very clear, of course they are. Does this mean that they have, like, the largest impact on this movement? I don't think so. I think it's genuine, like, genuine anger that's bringing people to the ground and genuine excitement for something different. But uh, it also matters for certain areas where the LF has, has a lot of mobilization capacity compared to protesters without resources. So I would expect, like, if the LF pulls out of this, uh, that in Jaladib or in Zou- or in Jebel, things would be different. Especially that the FPM is telling all of the municipalities and like all of its instruments on the ground, let's try to minimize as much as possible uh, how, how, like, the road blockages, how much we can see of this whole movement happening. And then the last actually leader is Jumblat. And Jumblat is in this position where he's like, I want to resign. I really want to, but I can't because I'm waiting for Hariri. And in the beginning, yeah, th- we,
0: we've heard these whispers all week long, like Jamalat's going to resign. He's not. He has two ministers. Right. So they wouldn't bring down the government, but it'd be something. It would, yeah. would isolate Hariri.
1: Yeah. It would isolate Hariri politically because he will be a bu- with a bunch of March 8 people, to be honest. Like it would be really Hariri and the pro-Syrian regime guys yeah, in government. Right? <laughs> so it's important. So that's why that's how the, F- the PSP, the H- Jamalat's party, are kind of justifying their move now. They're, I mean... They're in government. They're saying we can't leave Hariri with these people, like with the opposite camp. So we're protecting him. Uh, so if he understands like how much of a favor this is, you know, he should he should appreciate this favor, whatever. This is what really this is explicitly what uh, Marwan Ahmedi was saying the other day. So Shamlat in this position is I don't know. He has I think a deal with Hariri that he should stay, he should keep his ministers in government and have something in return. I don't know what. But otherwise, because it makes sense, it only makes sense that PSP withdraws as well, because Hariri will have more justification to withdraw. And because the base of the PSP is against this government in all of its heart, I promise, like, people hate this shit out of the, the Ahad, this whole thing, this FPM-dominated government, and they want yeah. it out.
0: Yeah. Um, so that brings us to what happens next. Like I said, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. This is before like the last time I looked at Al-Jadid. It didn't seem like there were a lot of people in Martyrs Square, but it's before people normally arrive. So we have no, by the time you guys are listening to this, our listeners are listening to this, you probably know like what happened. But from my point of view, today really is sort of a make or break day. There, There really needs to be like a million people out today something like that it needs to be a really really big showing in in my opinion because if you are paralyzing a country if you're closing down so many roads uh then you you need to have sort of like a, a popular mandate for that and the more people who come out the more of a mandate you have whereas if you know only a few people uh, you know come out today then i think that'll give a lot of fuel to the to the authorities, to Hariri, to Basile, to Aoun, to Nasrallah, to say, there's not really that many people behind this. Stop blocking the roads. The majority doesn't want the roads blocked.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good, that's a good point. I agree to that. I agree with that. Although I don't think it should be the only consideration of people taking the actions because sometimes you do unpopular things for popular causes, right? Like unpopular instruments, but when they're so strategically important, because, you know it's like a matrix of, of different things you should consider you should consider how popular the action is itself but you should also very consider very seriously how what are the other alternative um, tools that you have and how effective they are i think we have no other tools except like occupying things you know like the airport or the port or something like that which is always on the mind of people like occupying major facilities other than that how what can you do how can you disrupt the country if you don't block roads while the trade unions are completely completely in control of the ruling class and they can't do a general strike in the public sector or the private sector while the economic model is based on very small companies so also trade union action wouldn't anyway make a lot of sense in all of the situation and while you're being fought by the the like all of the strong political parties in the country of course the, the 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 logical thing to do is resort to the tool that can actually disrupt as much as possible and this is blocking roads.
0: Because I mean, the the other tool of disruption that was used early on in the protests, just like breaking shit in downtown, um, that seems to be sort of off the table at, at the moment. In, in my opinion, that that was um, kind of important, uh, not to necessarily endorse uh, breaking shit in downtown. But it, it was important insofar as Lebanon's politicians are kind of like spoiled children. And you kind of have to break their toys sometimes to get their attention.
1: Yeah. And, and, metaphor, that's what, and that's yeah. what
0: the protesters did. They went down yeah. and they broke the nice shiny toys of the rich elite in downtown. Yeah. And that got a lot of, that, that, that got the elite's
1: attention. And it showed how serious this is.
0: Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't seem to be, that doesn't seem to be on the table as much anymore.
1: Yeah, that's related to something we can discuss in the future related to changing maybe demographics of the people who are in the streets. I mean, you can see it. People who are who were the the basically the heart of the protest in the first two three days are not there anymore. The the language is diff- different, The chants are different. The the what they do in the street is different. Like it's been taken over by the middle class for sure.
0: Right, right, right. It, it's it's you know you got like this party in downtown basically every night, which is great. It's fine and everything. But where's the anger? Where's the rage? Yeah, <laughs> our our producer Susan just chimed in, answered triply
1: yeah and that's a good <laughs> point really exactly yeah and the other areas i mean we should not focus on beirut so much because it's more important what's happening in other areas however if in beirut things are not blocked and this there's no scene happening then of course it will trickle trickle up and south and north and east uh, because all of the economic activity and most of the political activity happens like most of everything happens in beirut to be honest it's a very centralized country when it comes to economic and political activities so it's very important that beirut remains in this situation of like kind of disruption otherwise yeah uh, we will be we will have betrayed uh, the other areas because they're taking much bigger risks than than we are to be fully honest like people in the south confronting hezbollah and 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 amal or in the east in Beqa, confronting Hezbollah and confronting and or even people in the north like saying, Anmi, Ati, and, and all of these people at the same time. Right, right, right. These are taking serious risks, and these are more, much more, much poorer populations and much more dependent on the clientelist networks of these politicians.
0: Yeah, whereas in Beirut, you see like a bunch of middle class people going to a, a party every night, which is oh, oh, okay. How do you sustain this sort of thing? How do, how do you actually affect change, you know, and how do you how do you do justice? How do you show solidarity with those people in Tripoli, in Nabutye, uh in mm. Baalbek? Uh if if you're going to like a concert, you know, that's in the egg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I think that's that's a whole other discussion for another time. And, and uh, maybe, maybe we can find somebody, uh, an, an expert to bring on in on this, because it's, it's a really important aspect, I think, and a really important change in the dynamics of the protests that we've seen over the last week. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there, there's literally too much to cover. I, I feel like there have been about, like, five things that have just slipped through the cracks, you know, like gigantic stories that have yeah. slipped <laughs> through the cracks for me uh, at work. And
1: I guess that's how it goes. Exceptional and, times. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and and rip our sleep schedules as well, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I miss sleeping so much.
0: Uh, well, on that note, I I have to run off to work. <laughs> I'm late. <laughs> Hopefully, they don't fire me. <laughs> uh, and please don't. Uh, we're gonna try to. We were supposed to be. We had planned to be off next week because uh, one of us has to travel. We're gonna try to do an episode anyway. It might be a little bit early. No promises, but we're gonna we're gonna try to bring something to you. Maybe like on Saturday or something instead. We'll, we'll see. No promises, but we're we're definitely in the game watching this, and we'll try to be with you next week. But until then, uh, I'm Benjamin Redd. I'm Nizar Hassan. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast.
1: The Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Redd, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar Elfil.